Hey, what's up, Freedom House? He snuck up on the first service, and <laughs> I didn't think he would do it again. He Absolutely snuck up on me again. again. Security. Security. You can call security. <laughs> I got that covered. Hey, Freedom House, I woke up this morning with honor on my mind. And, you know, if you want to talk about honor, I think sometimes you have to go to what dishonor is. Dishonor is treating something as common. And I don't know if you know it, but our pastor is a pastor of pastors. He travels all around this country, all around this globe, and he has wanted people like, can you come and speak to us? Can you come and speak to my leaders? Can you come and speak to my, my church? And he's honored all around the country, all around the globe, all these different churches. And I just can't think, I can't even express honestly all the stuff that you've done for me as a man, as a husband, as a leader, and what you've done for Freedom House. I've seen so many lives set free because of your leadership. And I just want Freedom House to stand on the feet. Give some honor where honor is due to our pastor. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you very much. Thank you, thank you, thank you. You guys are awesome. Go ahead and have a seat. I did not tell them to do that, but uh, I will take you to lunch today because of that. So, for sure. Just you, not Stephanie. All right. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm joking. Hey, if I've never met you before, my name is Troy Maxwell. My wife and I are the senior pastors here. And uh, they're your campus pastors. Stand up, Pastor Aaron, Pastor Stephanie. They're your campus pastors. We're one church, multiple locations. We're expanding. Uh, in a couple weeks, we're going to be starting our school, Freedom Academy, which I'm super excited about that. Huge step for us. And uh, we also got a bunch of people online, North Carolina, New Hampshire, Georgia, Tennessee, New York. I don't know what am I, Michigan, New York. They used to write it out for me. I guess he stopped doing that. So South Carolina, Pennsylvania, Florida, Arizona, Ohio, California, and Idaho. Come on, Idaho. I was just in Idaho. I'm very excited. First time in Idaho. Um, we we uh, just a phenomenal time last night at our encounter. How many of y'all came to encounter last night? We ordained two new pastors uh, of Freedom House, Pastor Michael Ott, who did the generosity moment, and also uh, Pastor Sam Taylor, who is the uh, director of our school, and so super excited about everything. This week is a very special week because we are continuing the launch of our life groups. I'm going to talk to that just for a minute, um, just to encourage you. You know, there's a lot of, lot of uh, misunderstanding about what discipleship is. And we are a discipling church. Yes, we want people to come into a relationship with Jesus. We're all about that. But Jesus told us to make disciples of all men. Make disciples, make disciples. So what does that mean, to, to disciple or to become a disciple? First of all, when you become a Christian, you don't automatically become a disciple. A disciple is someone who's decided to discipline themselves to be more like Jesus every day. Now, discipleship isn't five classes and then you're done. Because I think that's sometimes what we think. You know, you know, when I finish school 12 years, I'm done. Or I go to college, I'm done. Well, that's not the way it works with God. Matter of fact, discipleship is for the rest of your life. Because we grow closer to God until we get into heaven. And then I believe we're gonna keep learning. We're gonna keep you know, learning. We're not gonna be little fat babies sitting on a cloud playing a violin you know, with wings on our back. I, that's just stupid. Who would want to do that for the rest of their life, for eternity? Um, I want to learn. I want to learn from God. I want, to, I want to be a part of what, and so part of your journey as a disciple here is learning to be more like God. So what, how do you do that? You come to church. That's one way. 
you, you uh, go to classes that we have. That's another way. The greatest way, let me say it again, the greatest way to be discipled that God uses is relationships, okay? So that's why you need to be in a life group. Matter of fact, if you're serious about be, becoming a disciple, you should be in a life group. What does that mean? You go and you get around people, some you like, some don't like you. No, I'm just kidding, some you don't like. God brings those people in your life, why? Because they're meant to smooth out the rough edges of your life. And so he brings hard people in your life to help you get rid of the hardness that's in your life. He brings soft people in your life to help you be a little more soft because you see how it develops other people. And so it's important. Now, I know, I know what you're thinking. I don't wanna go to a life group. You know, I don't wanna share all my stuff. Last time I did that, you know, people talked about me and everything. Well, guess what? It's probably gonna happen again. I'm not gonna lie. You know, like we're not perfect at all because you're here. And me, you know, we're not perfect people. And so we make mistakes. But that doesn't mean you give up. Like, I've been married 30 years, you know. My wife has made a couple mistakes. I never gave up. You know, I keep, push, I, you know, keep pushing her. Tell her, you need to grow, honey. Learn. Don't tell her I said that. Um, but you understand what I'm saying. Relationships are the most important thing. So after you, after you, we dismiss today, there's gonna be people standing in the lobby, and I wanna encourage you to get involved. Get involved in a life group. There's all kinds of different kinds of life groups. We have recreation groups. We have dinner groups. We have men's groups. We have women's groups. Some meet every week. Some meet every other week. Some last for six months. Some, you'll be in relationship for the rest of your life, and it'll be fantastic, and it'll change you forever. Amen? All right, hey, we're in a series that we're continuing and actually finishing up today on the book of John. We've, for the entire summer, we have spent time in Romans and James, and now we're finishing up in the gospel of John. I, um, I wanna tell a story and then ask you a question. I, when I was about six or seven years old, my grandfather had a Pontiac Bonneville. Now, you young people don't even know what that is. A Pontiac Bonneville was a boat of a car. It didn't have bucket seats, it had row seats. Big row, one door that weighed like 8,000 pounds, flipped down and you got in the back seat. I used to ride in the back seat with my grandparents. I mean, you could have a party back there. You could lay down, you could stretch out, you could fit at least 40 people back there. Amazing. One day, Thomas and Mildred were my grandparents. We drove up, and this was later on in life, and and you know, I think he was probably in, her se in his 70s and she was in her, her 70s and we roll up to the stoplight and I'm about, you know, I'm young and I look over to the right and there's this, this guy and this girl and they are making out, like going at it at the stoplight. She's all up in his lap and sucking on his neck and licking his ear and all kinds of, I'm like, oh, this is nasty. What's going on? Oh, and then I heard my grandmother say, Thomas, how come we don't do that anymore? <laughs> and my grandfather, I call him Paul Paul, Thomas paused for a second, you know, it was like this climactic moment. And he says, Mildred, I haven't moved. <laughs> and so she slips down that long bench seat and she climbs up on his lap and starts sucking on his neck and licking on that hairy ear. And it was the nastiest thing I've ever seen in my entire life. 
So let me ask you a question. <laughs> you ready for it? If you're not as close to Jesus as you once were, who moved? Who moved? In 1996, I was in a moment of decision. I was in, I felt like a moment of transition. I was trying to figure out my life and what I wanted to accomplish. And I was working in the insurance and investment field, but I felt like something inside of me, there was something that was about to change, but I didn't know what it was. And I'd been taught that when you have a very important decision, get with God. I think sometimes it's easy for us, we, we go and ask people what they think. I think before we even go to God, we start asking people. What I really think we're doing is trying to get somebody to agree with us so we can make the decision we really wanna do because we don't wanna go to God because he might tell us something that we don't wanna hear, right? And so, so I, I said, I know I need to get, I've been taught, get with God, spend time with God, have an encounter with God. If you're hungry, God will, will give you get thir for thirst for, for your weary soul. He'll give you drink, he'll help you, he'll give you the answer. And so at that moment, we had this guy that was getting ready to come and do a week-long revival at our church, week-long. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, all week long. And so I said, you know what? I need a word from God. I'm gonna take the entire week off. He came in the morning and the afternoon and the evening. It was like 10 a.m., 2 p.m., 7 p.m., every single day. I sat on the front row because I wanted a word from God. I wanted to hear from God, and he answered me. I was desperate. On that Friday, I had a, like a three-hour encounter. I'm not gonna go into detail about it, what, what, what happened to me, but it really kind of solidified exactly what my next step was, exactly what it was. You know, when you look at the book of John, the book of John, I believe, is the gospel of encounters. It's where John shows us how God in heaven sent his son Jesus on earth, all man, all God, to encounter humanity so we could know what God, who God was like, what he was like, how he would act, what he would respond to, his healing power, the miracles, the voice, what, what he looked like, what he felt like. John is all about the encounters of God. If you wanna read a great gospel, if you're brand new to Christianity, if you're kinda kicking the tires of being a believer, start in the book of John. I know we read books from the beginning, Genesis through Revelation, but I promise you, the best book to start in is the book of John. It's divided into two sections. The first section, chapters one through 12, are Jesus's public ministry. It's his encounter with people. And then we see him go private with his disciples in chapters 13 through 21. I'm gonna read from John chapter four because we see this specific encounter with this woman. Look, look with me at John chapter four, beginning in verse one. It says, therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself did not baptize but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee. But he needed to go through Samaria. Will you read that with me all together? Ready, one, two, three. But he needed to go through Samaria. All together, even online, one, two, three. But he needed to go through Samaria. One more time. But he needed to go through Samaria. Verse five. So he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar. That word Sychar, or the town, it's called town of drunkards. This is like the Tijuana of Israel. <laughs> 
near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now, Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about 12 o'clock in the afternoon, the sixth hour. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away to Chick-fil-A. Because that's where they went. That's where all Christians go to eat, is Chick-fil-A. We can't go on Sunday, but we go on Saturdays to make up for Sundays. We store up just like manna. That's what Chick-fil-A is. I'm hungry right now, so all I can think about is Chick-fil-A biscuits. For his disciples gone away. Verse nine. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, how is it that you, being a Jew, asked to drink from me, a Samaritan woman, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, if you knew, everybody say, if you knew. Point at your neighbor, say, if you knew. Point at your second choice, say, if you knew. If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with. She's changing the subject. And this well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as well as his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered and said to her, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst, but the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman said to him, sir, I want this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said, yep, you're right. You have no husband. For you have had five husbands. Everybody hold out five like this. Just hold it out like this. Five husbands. You have, how many husbands does you have? Five. Five. And the one, hold out one like this, just like this. One. The one in whom you now have is not your husband in that you spoke truly. The woman said to him, sir, <laughs> it's funny, I perceive you are a prophet. Isn't the Bible funny? When you read the Bible, it just makes me laugh. Like, I perceive you're a prophet. Of course you do. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, by the way, Jesus is the only one that can ever do that. I've tried that at my house before. Penny's on the other side of the kitchen. Woman, bring me a chicken pot pie. I about got smacked. I said, well, Jesus did it. And he, she said, you ain't Jesus. All right. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth, then Jesus, the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Powerful, I could keep reading, but just for the sake of time, I wanna give you five life-changing truths that you need to know about an encounter with Jesus. If you're gonna have an encounter with Jesus, this is what you need to know about Jesus. Number one, write this down, is Jesus knows where you are. He knows exactly where you are. Not just geographically. I'm not just talking about that. He knows where you are emotionally. He knows where you are spiritually. We like to hide. We're really good at hiding. 
real good at hiding. We come into church, we fake it. It, doesn't, it takes a lot of effort, doesn't it? To not be who you are. But here's the thing about Jesus. Jesus knows exactly who you are. You can't hide from him. You can put as many masks on. You can fake me out. You can fake Pastor Stephanie out. You can fake everybody else out, but you can't fake God out. Matter of fact, he wants, he knows who you are because he knows why you are. Which is the question we're all asking. Matter of fact, that's why we got the mask on is because we want everybody else to think we got it going on. When in reality, we keep asking the question, why am I here? What am I here for? The first question that God asked humanity is when he showed up. And this is important. I think he's still asking this today. Not because he didn't know where Adam was. He asked Adam, where are you? It's because Adam didn't know where he was. And when you come into a relationship with Jesus, when you encounter Jesus, this is the first thing he's going to challenge you with is where are you? Are you hiding behind a bush like Adam? Or let's, let's, let's go back one chapter. Remember John chapter three? Jesus had an encounter with a guy named Nicodemus. Remember that story? So think about this. This is what's so awesome about the Bible. Jesus has an encounter with a guy named Nicodemus. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. That's where it came out of, right? Nicodemus, intellect, smart, wealthy, religious, had it all going on, but yet he was hiding behind it. And now he meets this woman. So, so here is one end of the spectrum is Nicodemus. On the other end of the spectrum is this woman who's had five husbands. She's shacking up with number six, and now she's hiding behind men. He's hiding behind his intellect. What are you hiding behind? Because we all do. But Jesus knows exactly where you are. I believe somebody was praying for this woman. I do. Just like somebody prayed for you. I, remember, I know my grandmother prayed for me. She, the Bible says she, there's a cloud of witnesses. She's, she's on the front row of the stands for Troy Maxwell. Because she's shouting every time I get up and preach. Come on, Troy. Come on, sweetheart. Somebody's praying for you. Maybe you're praying for somebody. I mean, think about this woman for a second. Somebody had to have been praying for her. For, for this moment to happen, this encounter to happen, at this particular time, she was ready at this moment because somebody's praying, praying, and, and we all do this. We, we know somebody that meets a guy, right? Just like this woman, she probably met this guy at church, had green eyes, dark hair, a job, He's the one. I gotta marry him. But you know that he ain't the one. This is the same guy she keeps dating. Yeah, I know he's got a job, but it ain't a good job. And he's a loser. And she keeps picking losers off. She has the worst picker in the world, right? She meets him. They start dating. She stops coming to church. She stops going to life groups. She stops serving. Just like the pattern is. And then she ends up getting married. And then she gets divorced. But you know what? You don't stop praying. I don't, think, I don't think this person stopped. Maybe it was a grandma, maybe it was a friend. Just kept praying, just kept praying. First husband, kept praying. Second husband, kept praying. Third husband, kept praying. Fourth husband, kept praying. Reality show, kept praying. Fifth husband, kept praying. Come on, just didn't, 
didn't stop praying, just kept praying. She gave up on husbands. Now she's living with this guy, but this person did not stop praying because one day she knew, he knew, whoever it was, that this woman would come into contact with God. Everybody look at me for a second. Don't ever stop praying for somebody. Don't ever quit. Once God puts somebody on your heart, don't stop praying for them. Don't quit. What I don't see anything happening, just keep praying. You may have to take that prayer all the way up into heaven and you're sitting on the edge of heaven looking over waiting for God to show up at the well for that person because you prayed for them. Don't ever quit. If God puts somebody on your heart, that's a very, they are purposed at that moment to meet God face to face. God's timing is our protection, isn't it? See, she wasn't ready after husband one or a husband two or husband three or husband four or even husband five. She was ready at this moment, at this time. I believe God's timing is our protection. I, uh, when I became a Christian, man, I was on fire for God. I'm still on fire for God. But even, you know, when you get saved, like you're just radical. You say stupid stuff because you don't know what's going on. You don't know the Bible. You don't know what you're saying. So I mean, I would tell anybody about Jesus. You need Jesus. Who's Jesus? Well, I know him a little bit, but man, you need him. I, you need to come to church with me. I don't like going to church. I don't care. Just come with me. This is awesome. Jesus changed my life, delivered me. How did he deliver me? I don't know. It just happened one day. I don't know. I didn't know the answers to any of the questions. I didn't have, I didn't have any understanding of my relationship, but I just knew if you met him, God would change your life, especially my mom. My mom was not a Christian. Some of you know my story. She dealt drugs. Um, my job at six, seven, eight years old was, was, was the popo spotter. Police, if you don't know who that is. Five-O, whatever you want to say. That was my job. I was sitting in the front of the van. Police, popo, they're coming. You know, while she was dealing drugs in the back. So they would not do it. And so I got saved, radically saved, went and talked to her about Jesus. She really wasn't interested, wasn't her time. So a few years later, I was preaching on a Wednesday night at the church I was at. It was the first time I'd ever preached. And this woman, after I was finished the service, came up to me. She goes, are you Troy Maxwell? And I said, yes. She goes, I'm Barbara Rolando. I, I, I partied with your mom. We were best friends. I said, oh, I think I remember you. And so she said, is your mom a Christian? I said, no. Does she come to church? I said, no. She goes, I'm gonna pray for her. Now, she was one of those people that when she said she was gonna pray, you knew she was gonna pray. She was a little weird, but that was cool. <laughs> people that know how to pray, they're just a little off. But that's all right with me. I don't mind. You know, the eyes kind of point that way, but that's all right. I'm fine with that. I'm cool with that. Because they know how to get heaven. Come on, you know, don't point at somebody, but you know who I'm talking about right now. I mean, they know, they have, Barbara Rolando had a red phone to God. She said, I'm gonna pray for your mom. And so after a few weeks, she told me, she says, I'm gonna call your mom and tell her she needs to come to church with you on Mother's Day. And I said, go for it. Because I had tried many times to get her to come to church. And so Barbara called her and she showed up on Mother's Day with me and got saved completely saved. But that's not the end of the story. It's not the end of the story. About maybe two or three days after that, she gets a knock. My mom gets a knock on her door. It's the DEA, Drug Enforcement Agency. They had been watching her house because she was buying drugs 
from one of the main guys in Richmond, Virginia. And so when they came and knocked on our door, they said, uh, Mrs. Maxwell, we'll be watching you, and um, we know you have drugs. And she goes, I don't have drugs here. What do you mean? We know you buy drugs from someone. Yeah, but I'm a Christian now. I got saved, and I got rid of all my drugs, got rid of all of it. And so the DEA did not have a case against her. They couldn't arrest her to use her to try to get the guy because God's timing is our protection. Come on. In other words, here's the moral of the story. Get saved today or you're going to jail tomorrow. Amen. All right. (laughs) That is not the moral of the story. Romans chapter five, listen to this. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Ephesians chapter one, God's secret plan has now been revealed to us. It's a plan centered on Christ, designed long ago according to his good pleasure, and this is his plan. At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ. Jesus knows where you are. Secondly, Jesus understands your pain. He understands your pain. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, if you knew the gift of God, everybody say, if you knew, if you knew. Who it is who who says to you, give me a drink, You would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with. Listen to what she said. And the well is deep. See, Jesus was in touch with her pain. He was drawing her in. She wasn't supposed to be there at 12 o'clock in the afternoon. This is is how we know this woman was hurting. She, She was dealing with insecurity and pain and betrayal. Because at 12 o'clock, she wasn't supposed to be there at 12 o'clock in the afternoon. No, no. Women came at 6 a.m. and 6 p.m. They got water for their family in the morning. But see, everybody was there in the morning. And everybody was there in the evening. And she didn't want to deal with all of them. Because every time she showed up, all they did was point the finger at her and tell her, oh, that's the woman that's buried five times. That's the woman that's been going, you know, she's barren, she's this, she's that. She, 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 she didn't want to deal with that anymore, so she showed up at 12 o'clock in the afternoon because she didn't want to deal with any of that pain anymore. She was hurting enough. She didn't want anybody messing with her. But here she is again. She walks up to the well trying to be by herself, and there's another man probably wanting something from her. But this was a different man. This was God in the flesh. I think, this is a Maxwell translation, I think the father and Jesus had a conversation on his way to the well. We'll find out when we get to heaven. You can ask him in heaven, we'll ask him. Hey son, you know what's gonna happen today. I'm sending you to Samaria because there's a girl there that's been through it. But we know what's gonna happen. Remember, what did did he say? What did Jesus say to her? If you knew. If you knew, sweetheart, what was gonna happen today at 12 o'clock in the afternoon. If you knew what God sees in your life. If you knew the potential that you have. If you knew, you wouldn't, you'd be asking me for something you, you would be coming, to, if you knew, come on, point at your neighbor, say, if you knew, if you knew. Listen, if you knew how much potential God saw in your life, you would live your life way differently. 
You would worship differently. You would pray differently. You would praise differently. You would come every time to church expecting differently. You would go to life group different. If you knew, if you just had any inkling, if I had any inkling, I mean, 20 years ago, God, God sent us to North Carolina, a place I've never been. Before. If I knew that I'd be doing this today, I'd smack you in the face. There's no way. If you'll just trust God. That's what Jesus was saying. If you'll just trust me. I understand your pain. He knows where you are. He understands your pain. Matter of fact, in Hebrews chapter four, it says, we don't have a high priest who is out of touch with our reality. That's what I love about Jesus. Because I think sometimes we place Jesus up here when in reality, he was with us. He's been through everything that would tempted in any way that we could ever be tempted. He understands your reality. He understands your pain. He understands your insecurity. He understands your past church hurt. He understands what you're dealing with in your marriage. He understands the pain of not having enough and feeling poverty stricken. He understands what you're going through and the report that you got from the doctor that nobody else knows about. He understands your pain. He really does understand what you're doing. If you'll just take the mask off, then he'll work with you. Jesus knows where you are. He understands your pain. Here's another one. Jesus gives us hope. Jesus answered and said to her, whoever drinks of this water, they're gonna thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. In other words, what was missing in this woman's life was hope. And here's what Jesus does. You gotta know if you choose to have an encounter with God, he's gonna put his finger on the very thing that's holding you back from taking the next step. That's what he does. Every single time you come into his presence, he is not gonna change the subject until you deal with that. He's been doing it to me for, for 30 years. I come worshiping God, I just wanna worship you today, and he puts his finger right on that very, I don't wanna talk about that today. Can I just, work? I like that song. Cry out. I like that. I picked it. I like it. I want to just sing the song. Yeah, but no, you're not just going to sing the song. Because if you want my presence, my presence, my anointing breaks the yoke. It destroys the bondage. And so we got we to deal with this so you can sing the song differently the next time. And so that's exactly what happens when you come into the presence of God. He puts his finger right on the very thing. And for her, hopelessness. She'd given up hope. Given up hope on relationships. That's why she's there at 12 o'clock in the afternoon. She's given up hope on a marriage. I don't want to be married again. Why would I be married again? I've been married five times, so I might as well just shack up with this guy. I don't have any hope. I don't have any friends. I'm, I'm broken. Nobody wants me. I've given up hope, but Jesus gives us hope. See, the Bible says in Hebrews, it says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's very important to understand, for you and I to understand, that faith exists in the context of hope. Faith has to have an atmosphere that is pregnant with hope in order for it to operate. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. Hope is the confident expectation of good. What's hope? I don't know how he's gonna do it, but I know he will. I don't know when he's gonna do it, but I know he will. I don't know what he's gonna do, but I know he will. 
I, I don't know, I don't have any of the answers, but he does, and I trust him to show up at exactly the right time. And so I'm not gonna quit believing God. Every atmosphere I walk into, here's my problem. God, you've got a promise. I'm putting them together. That's called hope. Are you with me? That's what hope is. The confident expectation of good. Everything may not be good, but on the inside, I believe it's gonna turn out for the good of those who love God who are called according to his purpose. Are you with me? I'm preaching way better than you're saying amen this morning. Hope, everybody shout hope. That's what Jesus does. He gives you hope. When you are hopeless, he gives you hope. He deposits hope. And that's the hope that he says will be in you a fountain of everlasting life so that when you get around somebody, they're gonna get filled with hope. They're gonna see the hope on your life. How in the world could you be filled with joy in the midst of this situation? Jesus gives me hope. I can pray strong. I can praise strong because of hope, hope, hope. The Bible says in Hebrews that hope, this hope we have as an anchor for our souls, both sure and steadfast. A lot of people think that in the first and second century, the cross was the symbol of Christianity. Not true, not true. The cross was not the symbol of Christianity. No, the anchor was the symbol of Christianity. The cross was a symbol of death. Something went wrong, that's what, that's what Siri said. So check this out, if you go to Rome and you go in the Colosseum and you go underneath the Colosseum in the catacombs, there's walkways down there and Christians would have to wait under the Colosseum to be thrown to lions, to be killed for their faith. They confessed Jesus and as a result of their confession, they were killed for their faith. And so what they would do as they were waiting to die, they would scratch on the walls an anchor so that the next Christian that was waiting to die for their faith could turn over and look at the wall and see that yes, I'm going to die for my faith, but my next breath will be heaven, hope. Matter of fact, they would use anchors to point people to the next Christian Bible study because they weren't allowed to have, have meetings in, in the present, out, out in public. They could not have a meeting or the Romans would arrest them and throw them in jail. And so they would use anchors to point to the next meeting so that they could have hope. Number four, Jesus will complete you. Jesus said to her, go call your husband. And the woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you have well said, I have no husband. How many husbands did she have? Five husbands. Check this out. She had five husbands. She was living with the six, but she was talking to number seven, the number of completion. See, Jesus comes to complete us. She thought that I'll just have another man and he'll complete me. I'll just get another man. And that's what we often do. We often try other things to try to complete us. I'll, if, I, if I just make more money, then I'll be complete. If I just buy a bigger house, then I'll be complete. If I could just have a nicer car, then I'll be complete. If I could just be more successful, then I'll be complete. Whatever it is. But until you connect with Jesus, and I promise you can try it all. You can try it all. You'll be back here. 
at the well wanting to meet Jesus because he is truly the only thing, only person that will ever complete you. And let's just, I wanna take this just one level deeper and then I'm almost done. Trust me here, okay? Because this, is, this story is more than just for this woman. See, Jesus needed to go to Samaria. We think just for this woman, but in reality, this was way deeper. It was way broader than just this woman. Because see, Samaria, if you understand the history of Samaria, Samaria was overwhelmed by Assyria. Assyria attacked it when Samaria was the capital of Israel. And Assyria, when they attacked and overwhelmed Samaria, they put five nations into that, into that nation, into that city. Five nations that worshiped five different gods. And Israel, because of their non-committed life, they took those five nations that worshiped five pagan gods and they created their own worship. This is why the Jews never dealt with the Samaritans. It's because they were a mixed group of people. They were a half-breed is what they were called. They weren't even real people. Jews would never even get near them because if they touched a Samaritan, they would be considered unclean because they had mixed themselves. See, Jesus not only was completing this woman, he was delivering Samaria. He was letting Samaritans, because if you know the story, what happens is this woman gets completely changed. And the Bible says she leaves her water pot, the very reason she came there, and she goes back into the city, the place that she was running from, and starts telling everybody, I met the Messiah, I met the Christ, I met the one. He told me everything about my life. You guys need to come and hear this. So the very people that she was running from, she runs to, and the whole entire city is changed. Listen, listen, Jesus, set you free so you could be the beginning of the future of your family to be set free. Jesus, hold, hold on, hold on. Jesus set you free so the city of Charlotte could be free. Jesus put Freedom House here because he wanted to not only touch your family, but through your family, he would touch the schools. He would touch the government. He would touch the city. He would touch the nation. This is way deeper way deeper than just God touching one person. There was a ripple effect that happened through this woman that an entire city was changed. You know, you know what Jesus was really doing? He was giving us a picture of what the church would be like. Both Jew and Gentile together worshiping Jesus. This is a picture of the church at the well. That's why the church is to be the place where people come and get living water and they meet Jesus, and then they go back and they change their community, their neighborhood, their family, their marriage, their school, whatever it may be. Last one, when you meet Jesus, when you have an encounter with Jesus, last one, Jesus is. Notice the progression of how she basically came into this relationship with Jesus. First thing, she calls him sarcastically, you Jews. Calls him a Jew. You Jews, you don't have any dealings with us. You don't talk to us. You don't mess with us. You don't even come into our city anymore. You Jews. Then it goes to sir. A little bit more respect. 
sarcastic Jew, little bit more respect. Well, you know, maybe I will listen to you, sir. Then Jesus tells her some things about her life. And then she says, well, you must be a prophet. And then she says, I know that Messiah is coming. Matter of fact, she even says to the people after she meets Jesus, he's the Messiah. And then lastly, he, she calls him the Christ, the anointed one. Why? Because whenever you come into an encounter with Jesus, he always will reveal himself. And whenever he would reveal himself, he would say, I am. That's what, when he says, I am he, he was basically saying what God would do anytime he would come into contact with a human being whom they doubted who he was. He would say, I am. Moses struggling to go into Egypt, I am sent you. Jacob, I am is here. Isaac, I am. Abraham, I am. Whenever he would want to introduce him, Jesus didn't do it very often, did he? Matter of fact, only a handful of times did Jesus ever say who he was. It's the tetragrammaton. It's, the G, it's God just revealing himself to humanity. Matter of fact, Jesus, when they came to arrest him in the garden, they said, who are you? He said, I am. And they all fell down under the power of God because of the strength of who he was, God in the flesh. I want you to stand with me today and I want to ask you a question. I just, I just, because Jesus knows where you are, today's your day. Just like it was for me in 1996. We're not in the midst of revival, but here's what I know. I know if you'll just kind of move a little closer to God, he'll move a little closer to you. He says, draw near to me and I'll draw near to you. Some of you need a word from God. Matter of fact, how many of y'all need a word from God? Just raise your hand. You need a word from God. You need an encounter with Almighty God. I, I need an encounter with Jesus. I need an encounter with God. Well, I want to invite you. We're going to just take a couple minutes and just invite Jesus to begin a moment with us that will change us forever. So I want, I want you to take a step of faith. You, it's easy to raise your hand, but if you're serious about having an encounter with Jesus, I want you to get out of your seat. I want you to come to this altar and we're just going to have a time of worship. And as you come, you just lift your hands and close your eyes. It's not about me. It's not about the message. You just get out of your seat. Just right now, just get out of your seat and come. If you want an encounter with God, you need a word from God for your marriage. You need a word from God for your kids. You need a word from God for your ministry, for your, for your business, for your future, for the next person you're supposed to marry. You need a word from God. Just get out of your seat and come. Lift your hands up to heaven. Just push a little closer if you can. Lift your hands to heaven. Close your eyes. And just you call on Jesus, however you want to. Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I want you. Jesus, I'm desperate for you. God, I want you. I need a breakthrough in my life. I need you to change me right now. Begin a work in my heart. Revolutionize my thinking. Change my heart. Soften me, God. I draw near to you. I'm coming closer today. Today's my day, God. I'm not leaving this altar until I get a word from you. Just ask him in your own way. Just cry out to him right now. Just cry out to Jesus. Be desperate. Pray some dangerous prayers. Pray some crazy prayers. Do something you've never done before. And ask God to change your life. We need a breakthrough, God. We need a breakthrough in our life. We need a breakthrough in our family. We need a breakthrough in our city. We need a breakthrough in our country, God. We need a breakthrough in our government, God. We need a breakthrough in our schools, God. Change us today. Come on, stretch out to Him. 
Come on, sing it out. Yes. I believe you'll do it. watching online I just want you to bow your head close your eyes right where you are if you're here and maybe you don't have a relationship with Jesus maybe you stumbled into church today somebody brought you I don't know maybe you're watching for the first time or the hundredth time I don't know but I do know that God has a plan for your life and his desire is for you to come into a relationship with him that's why I sent Jesus is so we could just go right to the Father and, and I'm gonna tell you, God loves you. He cares about you. His grace is bigger than your greatest problem. His mercy is bigger than the greatest sin you might have. And Jesus can set you free right now. Maybe you knew him at one time and you've been running from him. I'm so proud of you for coming back to church, tuning in. I don't know, I mean, look, I know it's hard to come back into an environment maybe you got hurt at or somebody did something or you feel like God didn't do something. I'm so proud of you. You can give your life to Jesus again. You can press the reset button and start everything over. You can begin a brand new life today. If you're here and you say, that's me. If you're within the sound of my voice and you say, that's me. Sitting in a living room, I, that's me. I need, I need a, relation, a fresh relationship with Jesus. All we have to do is confess. The Bible says, confess with your mouth, believe in your heart. And the Bible says that he'll give you, he will save you. He won't... He not only will give you hope for heaven, he'll give you hope for today, for tomorrow, for next week, for next month, and for the rest of your life. Because you'll have somebody you can talk to, somebody that will always be there with you. He loves you. If that's you, I wanna pray a prayer in church. We're gonna join with them as they make this confession. And then we're just gonna lift our hands and worship God all together before we go home today. Just say this with me. Everybody say, Heavenly Father, I believe that Jesus died for me. I believe that his blood washes me of all my sins and all my mistakes. Lord, I'll serve you. Lord, I'll worship you all the days of my life. Thank you for hope. Thank you for your grace. And thank you for your mercy. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name.